0: I want to invite you to turn in your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, then you know that we are walking together through The Sermon on the Mount This is one of the longest portions of Jesus' teaching in the Gospels, and it's also one of the most famous portions of Jesus' teaching. I mentioned a few weeks back that there have been countless non-Christians who have found themselves drawn to this particular portion of Scripture, people who haven't repented and believed the Gospel, people who we would say are not saved, and yet they've looked at Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and they have been captivated by it. Perhaps most famously, uh, Gandhi found himself just uh, consumed by the Sermon on the Mount and fascinated by the ethics of Jesus. We've been walking through this particular portion of Jesus' teaching, but we're not walking through it and looking at it from an outside perspective. We as a church are looking at the Sermon on the Mount as Christians. We're looking on the sermon, looking at the Sermon on the Mount as citizens of the kingdom of God. And for us as Christians, the Sermon on the Mount sort of functions like our constitution. You know, our our country, the United States, has a constitution that's meant to govern the way that it functions and the way that our life together operates. And John Stott so famously said, the Sermon on the Mount is the constitution of God's kingdom. It's Jesus' way of describing how people who have placed their faith in Him ought to live. I wonder if you've thought about your faith in that way before. So often we, we talk about becoming a Christian as entering into a personal relationship with God and that's true, that's biblical. But the Bible also refers to Christians not just as individuals but as a chosen nation, as a royal priesthood, as a kingdom. We are not just individual people in relationship with God, but we are a people, a kingdom, a nation that has been brought together under the lordship of Jesus. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven even as we're scattered among earthly kingdoms. And that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with celebrating and being proud of the earthly kingdom in which we find ourselves. On sort of a small scale, um, I live in uh, the city of Tampa. I live within sort of like the, the general region of uh, Old Seminole Heights. And I can tell you this. I know nothing about sports. Not, not the slightest thing. But when any Tampa sports team plays any other team, it is Tampa versus the world for me. Like I will watch that game. I will scream as they throw the hockey puck into the net or whatever, however they play that, that game. Right? Because I am so proud and pro-Tampa, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. In the same way, when the Olympics are on every couple years, I know nothing about water polo or curling or any of the other wild sports that are somehow Olympic sports now, but man, I am chanting USA when those games come on. There's nothing wrong with being proud of where we are from. Being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven doesn't mean that we aren't proud to live in America, but it does mean that we are Christians first and foremost. And it means that sometimes our allegiance to the kingdom of God, our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven will require us to live in ways that are out of step with the earthly kingdoms in which we find ourselves, that are culturally bizarre that don't make sense to our friends or our neighbors. I think this was abundantly clear last week. As as Mark walked through Jesus' teaching on divorce, I thought he did a great job walking through a really challenging and difficult passage. But it's clear when you look at the culture in which we live that Jesus' teaching about divorce is radically different from that. We live in an era of easy, no-fault divorce, but according to Scripture, there are only a few options for divorce which are not considered sinful. One is the case of infidelity, which is what Jesus mentioned last week and Mark taught on last week in the Sermon on the Mount. Another is the one that St. Paul mentions later in his letters. It's desertion by an unbeliever. And I would put into that category for some, some exegetical reasons, things like physical or psychological or sexual abuse as well. I think that that is a form of desertion. But you've got to admit that even with those stipulations in Scripture, that's very different from the way that you see marriage practiced by Hollywood celebrities. Right? They're, they're married for six months and then they just decide that their lives are moving in different directions. And... So they get a divorce, and it's seen as no big deal. Jesus' teaching is radically out of step with our culture. But we're citizens of a different kingdom, and we're citizens of that kingdom first. And I think we'll, we'll see that Jesus' teaching continues to be out of step with our culture when we look at our text for this morning. So again, if you've got a Bible, we're in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. And let me read for you the words of the Lord. Jesus says this, Anything more than this comes from evil. So what does it mean for us as Christians to be an honest people? What does it mean for God's people, the citizens of Christ's kingdom, to love, value, celebrate, and perpetuate the truth? I think that's what Jesus is after in this passage That we should be a people who are marked by honesty and truthfulness. But if we're being honest, this too is challenging for us in our culture. We struggle with the idea of truth. There's this little thing called the internet on which anyone can say anything. And if you're on social media, you're constantly being bombarded by news articles. And sometimes you go, I don't even know what to believe. Because one article to a next directly contradicts itself. We struggle to know what's true, but it's not just out there sort of in our public conversation. I think that this kind of becomes a little bit more personal for us as well. As I was preparing for this sermon, I was reading the commentary in the Sermon on the Mount by an Anglican theologian named Scott McKnight, and he uh, mentions a study in his sermon or in his, uh, in his commentary, and this study found that about 66% of teenagers admit to having lied to their parents in the last three months. So if you're here with your teenage child, you can look to them and say, I know what you did, and see if they fess up to anything. But it's not just uh, children lying to their parents. In that same study, they found that 60% of teenagers had lied to their friends in the last three months as well. It's not just fear of getting in trouble with mom and dad, it's fear of being found out by the people that they're in class with. Maybe you've heard the phrase that Oprah Winfrey made popular speak your truth. Now, I understand, in, in some sense, what is meant by that, that there are people who have had negative experiences, who have uh, suffered and have not had the opportunity to share their story, and, and when it's used in that sense, I, I think I'm on board with what is meant by it, but more often than not, when people say, speak your truth, they're playing into this cultural idea that truth is really a matter of personal preference. There's what's true for you, and there's what's true for me, and it doesn't matter if those two things contradict each other, because you have your truth, and I have my truth. That's the way our culture operates. We have trouble with the idea of truth. And into all of this confusion, Jesus has something to say. That the citizens of his kingdom will be known as a people of the truth. But what does this look like? That's the real question. And Jesus mentions in our text a specific example. He says in verse 34, I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Obviously, this was spoken before you could go by dye at Walgreens and change the color of your hair. (laughs) So Jesus is actually getting into a a cultural practice that was common in his day. You see, for Jewish people in Jesus' day, they believed and they knew that the name of God was so holy that it could not be spoken. And it also probably ought not to even be written, and so they would use shorthand and abbreviations. And that meant that when it came time for them to take some sort of a vow to guarantee that they were speaking the truth, they would never in a million years think to say, I swear to God. And you probably still shouldn't do that. No, they would find objects that were near to God and they would swear by those things to prove that what they were saying was true. So they would say, I swear by heaven that what I'm about to say to you is accurate. Or I swear by the earth, which is God's creation, that what I'm about to say to you is true. Or I I swear by Jerusalem, which is the the capital, the the great city uh, that God has placed his temple in. I swear by Jerusalem that you can trust me. It was a way of guaranteeing that their speech could be trusted. But it was also a way of scaling their speech because you see, heaven is a lot closer to God than earth and Jerusalem is a little bit further away from God. And so what would happen in Jesus' day is that people who swore by heaven felt more compelled to tell the truth than people who swore by earth. When you swear by heaven, that's like a super pinky promise, that what I'm saying is true. But when you swear by earth, well, you know, I can play fast and loose with the facts here. Now, that seems strange, but we have practices like that in our own culture. Um, In my... Last 10 years or so, Uh, I've been uh, summoned to jury duty a couple times, have never served on a jury, uh, but have had friends who've gone through that process, and then I have friends who work in the legal system, and you don't need to be involved in the legal system at all, you just need to watch law and order to know that when somebody is invited to testify in court... One of the ways that they are sworn in is by placing their hand on a Bible and saying, Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you, God. But have you ever wondered why we do that culturally? Have you ever, like, just thought about why that is a practice in our society? One pastor in commenting on this passage, he points out that the basic idea behind swearing somebody in in a court of law is that generally speaking, what they say probably can't be trusted. And so we need to make it clear to them that there will be consequences if they don't tell the truth in this particular setting. And so we ask them to place their hand on a Bible and swear to tell the truth. And the idea is if you don't tell the truth now, you've desecrated a holy object and you've brought spiritual judgment on yourself. Now, in our current society, I don't know that people have the sort of reverence for the Bible that would make this as effective as it ought to be. But the basic idea behind swearing someone in by placing their hand on the Bible is you're essentially putting a spiritual gun to their head and saying, if you don't tell the truth now, you're going to bring judgment on yourself because you've defiled something that's holy. But the idea is that people in general can't be trusted, and so they need to be threatened in order to speak the truth. This is the same thing that's going on in Jesus' day. You can't trust what I say, but if I swear by heaven, then you'll know. That I really mean what I'm saying. And into all of this, Jesus offers what seems to be a really radical statement. Rather than saying, you know, be careful when you swear oaths, he actually says, do not take an oath at all. And It shouldn't surprise you that Christians have like debated this and how to apply this. The early church took this at face value. And so, they refused to serve in public office in the Roman Empire. They refused to serve in the military. They refused to testify in courts. They said, Jesus told us not to take oaths. All of these things require oaths. So, it looks like we're just going to have to not do any of these things. And then this guy came along named Augustine. Now, you should know, I like Augustine. I named my cat after Augustine. So, he's a good guy in my book. And Augustine said, you know, when, when Jesus says, don't take an oath, He's not referring to public life. He's not referring to the things that, that your government might require of you. He's, he's actually referring to your personal life. And so it's fine if, if you need to be sworn in as a politician or it's fine if you need to be sworn in in court or, or, or anything like that. You just shouldn't do that in your personal life. Your yes should be yes and your no should be no when it comes to your relationship with your friends and your family. And this is a, a debate that continues to rage on. There are still Christians today who believe, sort of like the early church did, that when Jesus says no oaths, he means every bit of that. You might be familiar with one of those groups are called the Mennonites, and they don't sign mortgages, and they don't, uh, they don't testify in court, and they refuse to swear oaths entirely because they think that Jesus has prohibited it in this passage. And then there are plenty of others who would say, well, it's not a total prohibition. Now, let me just tell you, I have for the last two weeks read probably 10 or 15 commentaries on this passage, and every other commentary disagrees with the last one. And I'm like, gosh, if all you PhDs can't agree on something, how am I going to preach this, right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't expect to, to settle the, the depth of Jesus' expectation here. But my hope in this is to give us a sense of how we as Christians can live this out practically. It's interesting, though, to note that as Matthew's gospel goes on, Jesus puts into practice his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. After Jesus is arrested, he's taken to the house of the high priest Caiaphas, and Caiaphas begins a trial. And as he's, uh, as he's interrogating the Lord, he says this in Matthew 26, verse 63 and 64. He says, I charge you under oath... By the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus replied, you have said so. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming in the clouds of heaven. Did you catch what happens here? The high priest tries to put Jesus under an oath, and Jesus says, those are your words, not mine. Outside of Jesus' trial, something very different is happening. Simon Peter has followed Jesus after his arrest, and he's sitting outside of the high priest's house. A crowd has begun to gather, and people begin to say, hey, I think you're one of the people who followed Jesus, and Peter is afraid for his life because it very much looks like Jesus is going to die, and if he's associated with Jesus, then Peter, too, might be at risk of death, and we find later in Matthew 26, verse 71 and 72, that he went out to the gateway, Where another servant girl saw him and said to the people, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth, and Peter denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. So, what you see in Matthew's gospel is that Jesus refuses to swear an oath even when it might cost him his life, while Peter rejects Jesus' teaching and tries to save himself by swearing an oath. Clearly, this is an important matter for us as Christians. So practically speaking, how do we live this out? What does it look like to be a people of truth in a world that seems to struggle with it? Well, there's, there's three sort of principles I wanna give you to take home and apply. As we think about being a people of truth, the first principle is this. If we want to be a people who speak the truth, then we need to be slow to speak. If we want to be a people who speak the truth, whose yes is yes and whose no is no, then we need to be slow to speak. A couple decades after Jesus preached this Sermon on the Mount, his brother James wrote a letter to a group of Christians, and he echoes much of what Jesus says. But in James chapter 1, verse 19, he makes this comment, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. This is every bit as countercultural as Jesus is teaching. Because we live in a culture, especially now, that demands instant feedback on every piece of information that passes in front of us. If you don't believe me, here's a little test. Think about the last time you texted somebody. So it could have been your spouse, it could have been your kid, it could have been one of your friends, and they read that text and they didn't respond to you right away. Think about the last time you got left on red receipt. How did you feel? What, what, what passed through your mind? Because I can tell you what happens for me. I'm like, I know you read this text four hours ago. You really mean to tell me that in the last four hours you didn't have time to respond to me? I saw that you posted on Instagram. Clearly you've been using your phone. Right? We expect instantaneous feedback. We expect an immediate response. The same thing goes with Email. Somebody sends you an email or you send someone an email and a day goes by and you are outraged that they have not yet responded to you. How dare you insult me like this? Maybe it's not so extreme. Maybe I'm extreme. (laughs) We live in a culture that expects people to be quick to speak. The same goes for the news cycle. The minute something breaks, the expectation is, why haven't you said something about this yet? I can think of a moment... Probably about 10 years ago now, I wasn't, uh, I'm not really on social media anymore, but a friend of mine uh, had reposted an article on Facebook. She didn't live in this area, but she posted this article, and the headline was really provocative. I don't remember exactly what it said, but it, it, was, it was pretty shocking. And she was like, I can't believe that this person would do this. It was a full paragraph of, of just ranting about this particular article. And I said, man, if this is true, I'm, I'm pretty upset about this too. And so I clicked on the article to read more about it, and the article was from The Onion. Now, if you don't know what The Onion is, it's a joke website. It's, it's, it's a website that writes fake news stories that are meant to be funny, But my friend had not taken the time to do this. She had just reacted to the headline, reposted it, perpetuated the outrage. And it turned out that what she had posted wasn't even true. She was upset about something that wasn't real. And I wonder if that's not a picture of our culture. We're constantly just reacting to things. And sometimes, I would even say many times, when we're constantly reacting, we're not taking the time to really think about what we're saying, we constantly have to backpedal on the things that we've said. The problem is when we're constantly speaking and not taking the time to think, sometimes we say things that aren't true. So let me encourage you with this. Get off of that cultural carousel. You don't have to comment on every post. You don't have to respond right away to every text message. You don't have to answer every email right away. Sometimes we would put our foot in our mouths less if we just kept our mouths shut. If we were slow to speak, quick to listen. But we do have to speak. We we can't be silent forever. And so when we do speak, if we want to take Jesus' word seriously, if we want to be a people of truth whose yes is yes and whose no is no, then I think we need to put into practice this second principle that I want to give you, and that is this if we want to speak the truth, then our word must be our bond. It doesn't matter what the commitment is. It doesn't matter how small it is or how great it is. When we say something, when we commit to something, we must allow it to bind us. As I was reading uh, Scott McKnight's commentary on this passage, he told the story of when he was a little league baseball coach and they did a summer training camp. And it was uh, five days of training and uh, he had a, a head coach that he was working with. It was like $300 for the week. Uh, and there was a family that had signed up and paid the uh, full amount for their child, and then midweek they had some health concerns about their child, and so they said, hey, he's not going to be able to make it to the last two or three days of the training camp. And this coach that Dr. McKnight was working with uh, wrote a check to refund them for the last three days of camp. And then he called them and he said, hey, just want you to know we're sending you a refund. And the family was shocked by this. They said, well, I, th- I thought we would have lost the money. And he said, no, no. Um, In the paper that you signed, we told you that it would cost $300 for five days of baseball training. Your child received two days of baseball training, therefore, here is the rest of the money back. And this family was blown away. But this was somebody who was radically committed to their word being their bond. I can remember when, when I first learned this principle. In a really profound way. Not to say that I practice it perfectly by any means. I was in my 20s. I was going to USF. I was working here at the church, and I had a couple other jobs. Uh, my job here at the church was that I was the janitor of that building next door. So rags to riches story. Um, and uh, I had a couple classes during the week that were like sun up to sundown. I was on campus from like eight in the morning to five in the afternoon. And there's no refrigerator, and so there were vending machines. And so I would go to the vending machine, and I would get like a bottle of water and a granola bar, and who am I kidding? I would get like Doritos and Mountain Dew, right? Um, But that was what I ate, uh, and that was how I got through the day. And I had not been paying attention to the amount of money in my bank account, but I can assure you that it was negligible uh, because I was a broke college student. Until one day at the end of the week, I checked my bank account, and I realized that I had overdrafted. Not the end of the world, except that during that week, I had gone to the vending machine seven to ten times, and so I had seven to ten more two or three dollar charges that were about to hit my overdrafted bank account with an overdraft fee for each one. So, for about ten dollars of Cheetos, I had about three hundred dollars in overdraft fees, which was super depressing. (laughs) And I remember mentioning this to my friend because I'm like, I don't, I don't have the money to pay this. I'm just like a broke college student. And he was like, you know what you can do? You can probably just close that bank account and go to another bank and they'll, they'll never come after you. And at 20 years old, that sounded like a great idea. <laughs> and so I was, uh, I was living at home at the time and I mentioned this to my dad and I was like, yeah, my, my buddy said I can just close this and just open a new bank account. And I kind of I ran my whole scheme by him. And he said, you know, um, if you wanna open a, an account with a different bank, that's fine. But you're not going to open that bank account until you pay every every penny that you owe your current bank. Because when you opened this account, you signed your name to the fact that you would pay the overdraft fees. And whether you think it's fair or not, you are the one who overdrafted your account and your word needs to be your bond. I think that's an important principle to learn. And that sounds good, and it sounds like something that we, we all nod at and celebrate, but the reality is that I think that we cut corners around this sometimes. How often have you been invited to a friend's party and verbally committed, yes, I'll be there, only to realize on Friday, I don't really know that I'm going to be able to make it, but I'm sure so many people showing up, they won't even miss me, and then you just don't show up. I'm, I'm convicting myself, right? I did this like last week. But when Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, he doesn't expect that to be graded on a curve. He expects his people to speak the truth. And here's the thing, if you're slow to speak, you'll be slow to commit to things that you can't deliver on. But when you do speak, you need to speak truthfully. Your yes needs to be yes. Your no needs to be no. This is especially important, and this brings me to the the last point that I wanna make Is that if we're going to be a truthful people, we need to remember the name that we bear. When we talk about being truthful, it's easy to think of truth as sort of like a a set of facts that everybody needs to agree to. And that's certainly the way that philosophers will talk about truth and correspondence theory of truth. But we are not philosophers, we are Christians. And when you read the Bible, truth is not just a set of facts. Truth is a person who has a name. When you read the Gospel of John, you come to this great passage in John 14, 6. Jesus is preparing his disciples that, that he's going to be going away, that he's going to be taken up on the cross and ascend into heaven. And he says that, I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And one of the disciples says, well, how will we know where you're going? We don't know the way. And Jesus responds to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except Through me. Notice this Jesus does not simply speak the truth, although he does that. Jesus is the truth. Jesus doesn't simply say true things, he is truth incarnate. And that's why he tells us let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let your word be your bond. When you say something, mean it. You shouldn't need to make all of these elaborate oaths to convince people that you're trustworthy. You should just be trustworthy. Because here's the reality. If we're not like this, if we're quick to speak, if we're constantly backpedaling on things we've said, if we're not letting our yes be yes and our no be no, I think there's two consequences that we're going to face. One of them is personal and one of them is far more serious. The first consequence we'll face personally is that people will start to believe us yes less. You know, when we say, hey, I'll be at your party on Friday. I know I said that last time, but this time I promise I'll be there. Those sort of oaths are only necessary when you have a track record of not being trustworthy. and That's a personal consequence that we'll face. But here's the greater consequence. If we're constantly breaking our word, if we're constantly speaking carelessly, People may start to think that we're less than trustworthy, but more importantly, they will start to think that Christ can't be trusted either because he claims to be the truth. And if the people who bear his name don't care about the truth, then what does that say about our king? So this is my plea for you, Life. This is my, my plea for our little outpost of the kingdom of God is that we would take the words of Jesus seriously, that our yes would be yes, that our no would be no, that the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit would make us a people who delight in truth and celebrate it as it points people towards our king who is truth itself. Can I pray for us and we'll be done with our time together. Lord, we are grateful for your kindness, your mercy, and your goodness towards us. God, we're grateful that in a world of confusion, and a world of lies, we have a solid rock upon which to build our lives, the truth of your word. Lord, let us be a people whose yes means yes, whose no means no, who are slow to speak, but whose word is our bond. God, we can't do this without your help. This doesn't come naturally. This is something that we need your spirit for. So Holy Spirit, would you make us a people who are truthful and who testify to the truth. These things we ask in Jesus' name. And we say, amen.